The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. My name is Cindy Adams, Madam Adams to you. If you read the New York Post, and if you don't, I don't want to hear that, but if you read the New York Post, I'm in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and have been since the days of Thomas Jefferson. And right now, I am on WABC, which I love and adore, and it is every Sunday. You can listen to me from 1 to 2, and you'd better. Right now, I'm about to babble. I just, first of all, I want to tell you that our Republican Congress is now so divided that they'll soon have to elect a relatively unknown speaker. A perfect candidate might be to re-elect our Long Island liar, the indicted George Santos. Can you believe that we actually elected him to Congress, a known liar? Is that possible? Are we not a great country or what? Going back for more of our VIPs, long back, VIP, VP rather, Aaron Burr, jeweled Hamilton. The ex-friend Jefferson then accused him of being a traitor. But he won, and returned to New York, wed a rich widow who divorced him, and used Hamilton's son as a lawyer. He died broke in a boarding house in Staten Island. Listen to mother, you cannot beat the system. Our next job going forward is to assess Hunter Biden. Joe Biden, brother James Biden, maybe a late great-great-grandma Biden, and some step-uncle twice-removed Biden. They will then busy themselves doing zip but renaming sports teams, that's what they're doing. They're hiding from lawyers. They're hiding from all sorts of indictments. But they are renaming sports teams, like the titles that fly on religion, such as the New Orleans Saints, Los Angeles Angels, San Diego Padres, Milwaukee Brewers. Well, the Brewers don't exactly sound like high-class people. Or those glorifying baddies like Oakland Raiders, Minnesota Vikings, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Pittsburgh Pirates, and racial? Please, watch the Washington Redskins change to the Washington Foreskins, okay? The Republicans once controlled New York's Senate, plus sometimes our mayor. Today, promised pardons are those convicted of sedition, condoning Target, Disney, Budweiser's sentiments embracing Gay Pride Week, state laws on abortion. This was a party that always stood for keeping government out of private lives, and now the progressives have taken over. They will raise the debt ceiling, which originally was to assist the government raising funds, not disable it. In 1917, the first debt ceiling was to assist in issuing World War I liberty bonds. Our New York, capital of this entire world, 
has slowly gone to the political dogs. Even now, we are getting Broadway shows about politics. There's a Tony winner named John Rubenstein. He has seen more stages than Shakespeare. June 13, he opens Off-Broadway's St. Clement's Theater in a one-man show titled Eisenhower. If you were 11 years old and you don't know who the hell Eisenhower was, I'm going to tell you. He was a five-star general, Dwight David Eisenhower. He commanded D-Day. He commanded Europe's invasion, and he was definitely in charge of the end of Hitler. He next became Columbia University president, the first commander of NATO and president of the United States of America in 1952. That was America's prosperous period. Later, he grew older, balder. He played golf. He became grandpa-ish. And what happens, he got forgotten to the young people. As a little boy, Rubenstein said to me, my dad actually took me to the White House. President Eisenhower actually shook my hand. But it has nothing to do with the show that I'm in now. Listen, I vote Democratic. I am a left-winger. Okay, I immediately walked away from him. For the show, he said, our information is from books, especially granddaughter Catherine's. In 1962, the Times ranked all of our presidents. Eisenhower was number 22 out of 35. He therefore became extremely upset. He was hurt that he was ranking low, and he said, How can that be that I was put only at number 22? And that exactly is where our one-man play begins. Politically, he said, Eisenhower remained moderate. His phrase was, the middle way. Right-wing Republicans hated him. The left was not happy either because he stayed in the center. So, I asked, does this show mention his long affair with his wartime driver? He says, no. People say it happened. Yeah, a lot of people say it happened, because it was a lot of happening. In those days, he denied it. But, he says, he mentions, Eisenhower mentions difficulties at the time with his wife, Mamie, although he remained loyal to her. I don't know what loyal means. He was having an affair with his wartime driver. And Mamie, if you can remember, had those long, lousy-looking bangs that went over her hair, her hit, her eyes, too. Anyway, now, let me tell you a little about other countries, since I have told you a little about how lousy ours is. In this month, Prince Achilles of Greece graduated NYU a prince of a guy, he's grandson of King Constantine II and Queen Anne Marie. And he needed a leg up, so he was nephew to Spain's Queen Sophia. 
we're going to continue on. All of these guys who are royals in Europe are coming here for their education. Prince Hashem just graduated King's Academy High. It was founded in Jordan by his own father, King Abdullah II. But he will schlep here for his higher education. Just now, Princess Salma, King Abdullah and Queen Rania's kid, graduated where? From the University of Southern California. It ain't near Jordan, kids. And in Wales, King Felipe VI and Queen Letitia of Spain sat with cousins King Willem Alexander and Queen Maxima at the commencement of Atlantic College. Princess Leonor, heir to the Spanish throne, and the Netherlands, Princess Alexia, grabbed their diplomas at the same time. I live in New York. I am saying, may their future kids enroll in Kings County. That is New York. Okay, now let's talk local. Start with Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee brings me up to Dolly Parton. She got ten Grammys, two Hollywood Walk of Fames. She is now getting a facelift for her multi-million visitors a year, Dollywood Park, in that state of Tennessee. It's getting a three-year, $500 million makeover. That is a lot of bread. Dolly said, you cannot get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. You must make time for fun. Yeah. Also, the park's income beats the grits that she might live off of if she didn't have this park. Now we go to Texas. Good old great Texas. Texas. Always Texas. The official state song, Texas, Our Texas, was written by a guy from Liverpool. So comes now how great it is. It's Attorney General Ken Paxton. He was just known for corruption, bribery, etc. Yet he got reelected. He has just now been impeached. Who cares since they already had the Alamo, so they've had everything else. But Texas, here's the thing. Texas's last impeachment was their governor. They called him Pa, P-A, Pa Jim Ferguson. After they dumped him, his wife was Ma, M-A, Ma Marion Ferguson. She ran for governor, and she served for two terms. Hey, the eyes of Texas are upon them. Now we get to my neck of the world, Hamptons. It is now awakening from its deep dream of sleep, but it's not widening. It's one lousy, stupid, asinine road into the area. A magazine has mumbled June 17, Main Street's Great Lawn will do chefs, restaurants, and spirits. Great. July 20th, another magazine has dittoed at Southampton College and saying that to end Borghese Vineyard, they will do whatever it takes to bring people to the Borghese Vineyard. Hey, great. Could be our country tis of we. How about handling long-time 
full tamers, butter knives, to scratch out another road lane. Wait, I am now going to Florida. Oh, Florida. Florida, here is my note to our charming Mrs. DeSantis. I would like to tell her, easy, down girl, calm yourself, enough with your repeated, long, flowing, cape, sleeve, schmatas. Not even the angel Gabriel dressed with billowing wings. Calm yourself. Mrs. Melania Trump had training. Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy had breeding. Mrs. DeSantis has low-class overdressing. Anyone see downtown South Dakota housewives rushing to copy her outfits? Let her pay attention. With the Disney problems, hubby could blow the mouse house. He could also blow the White House. Wait, I have to take a piece of paper because I want to read the next thing. I am now reading repetitive stories about Rolls-Royce being on a roll. Yeah, okay. But back when family silverware in my house came largely from the automat, I reported my day one excitement of someday as I grew up owning a Rolls-Royce. I got married and I owned a Rolls-Royce. By ten days in the Coney Island Times, which was all I could scratch up to write in back then, I reported how it went down. The one my husband bought, it quick laid down dead, a wheeze, a cough, and straight to Rolls-Royce heaven. The second greatest day it stopped on a six-lane highway, and Fords, Chevys, Volkswagens zoomed by yelling, Get a horse. Don't anybody say it's not true. I can prove it. I wrote about it a thousand years ago. Everybody in Rolls-Royce knows about it. Its salesman at the time I had it was so British that next to him King Charles sounds Southern. And he said to me, my husband, Merely a minor adjustment, madam. One month's minor adjustment later, my husband clambered back in. With the ignition off, with nobody around, the rear windows moved by themselves. Both directional signals worked simultaneously, and the rear's right-side makeup mirror light lit up the mahogany desk on the left side. Also, air conditioning in January blasted from the heating unit. Minor adjustment modem oozed its salesman, whose headquarters probably still has my Coney Island time review somewhere on their wall. Okay, on a country road straight away, Late at night, late at night, with no other car around, this silver shadow triumph got up to five miles to the gallon. 
in city traffic that fell off a little. One does not purchase a rose for economy, hummed the salesman, peering at us as if to say, if the pound hadn't devalued, we wouldn't even be doing business with the likes of you. One more story. High noon on 57th Street and Madison Avenue, this white dream car, JA4 license plate, had a crowd around it. The hood was up. Smoke billowed from the engine. I got onto the first thing moving, a bus going uptown, and my appointment was downtown. Next, a brake lining problem and reheating situation. Also, the radio stopped. The rear license plate holder fell off. The trunk locked, and the car stopped dead in traffic. But it was so chic that even when it couldn't move, we... The owners surged with pride, leaning against it to summon a cab. They say the only thing that makes noise in a rolls is the clock. Yeah, unless you count the owner crying. We hadn't realized it had been one of the earliest silver shadow designs, maybe even a store model, whatever the hell it was. To tell you the truth, the thrill of owning even an asthmatic Rolls-Royce dies hard. Now, I just want to tell you one quick thing. Judge Judy. Here's a highlight from Judge Judy's press blast in the British press, in case you missed it. It was an answer to my asking her what she thought of Prince Harry and me, 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 Megan. She wrote this exact words. Prince Harry Prince Harry writes that William recoiled from Megan's first hug, biting the hand that fed him. Harry is selfish, spoiled, ungrateful, a, disinge a disingenuous childhood. I'd be furious and hurt if my child or grandchild did the same thing to me. Divorced pig Mimi Megan dumped her father, castigated her former best friend, fought with everyone else, looked only to make money and get famous, and will eventually expend bodily fluid on Prince Empty, as has his entire birthplace. Said Judge Judy, Harry's name is everywhere but on toilet paper. Let's just wait. Okay, before I finish, I want to tell you that writers aren't concluded when it comes to schmearing Brit royals. Soon is coming another book on Princess Diana. Stuart Pierce, who immortalized her in an earlier work, is on to another. Then, maybe, Prince Empty will knock off yet an additional volume. And a movie. And maybe a Broadway play. After Spare, he'll scratch out care, or dare, or rare. And I am about to scratch myself out and go to a station break, and then I'll be right back with a really 
juicy interview. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am now about to speak to Alessandra Conti. She is a certified celebrity matchmaker. What a certified matchmaker is, this I don't know. She's going to tell us. And today we will find out if she and I are a match made in heaven or something worse. Alessandra is the co-founder and celebrity matchmaker at Matchmakers in the City. I'm going to talk all about who she is and her officiality a little bit later, but I'm desperate just to talk to her. I I swear, what exactly does a celebrity matchmaker do? (laughs) Hi, Cindy. Yes, well, I have been a celebrity matchmaker for now a decade. Um, I started, myself and my sister started our company, Matchmakers in the City, a 10 years, 10 plus years ago, which is wild. Um, and we started in the heart of Beverly Hills. Um, and then we just grew very organically. So now we have a team of matchmakers and we don't only matchmake celebrities. That's kind of my, my specialty is working with the more high profile clients, but a majority of our other clients are working professionals who have great careers but are having challenges just finding finding a partner. Okay, why don't celebrities or high-profile people or just anybody just date or just go into another organization to find somebody? Why such a high-level person such as yourself? Yeah, well, it's really challenging for especially people in the public eye to it's just challenging for them to date. I mean, it's challenging for anybody to date, but then add on the notoriety and the you know the uh, the the kind of isolation also that a lot of um, people in the public eye have to deal with because they are well known. So they can't exactly just kind of you know get on a dating app or go to a bar and just start talking to somebody. Um, so yeah, I mean a lot a lot seek us out and it's also crazy because I you know when we started that when we when I began you know uh, being when I was a matchmaker 10 years ago and with and we, when we got our first uh, big name client I was shocked that um our first big name client was a female who and who 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 I wish I could say but it's we're like bound by confidentiality um, but she was, she's very well known and probably one of the most beautiful women in the world and like objectively speaking. And I remember meeting with her and being like, you have problems. And she literally said, no men approach her went for to date her. No men approach her. It's just, it's as if she has this do not approach me for dating sign on her. So we then were able to set her up with incredible um, potential bachelors. And she ultimately ended up like getting together with somebody from her past, but she had a beautiful experience with us. Um, yeah. Tell me, tell me what does it mean to be a certified matchmaker? You, you don't go to a Harvard or Princeton to get a degree. How does it become a certified matchmaker? Yes. So being a certified matchmaker is very important um, in our industry. 
Um, I mean, I have, you know, I have my my uh, my bachelor's degree, and my sister has my sister, my my uh, who is also my business partner. She has her master's from Oxford. So we we both got our education elsewhere. But then when we like got into the matchmaking industry, um, you know, beyond just setting up our friends and when we actually like incorporated as a company, we learned all about the matchmaking institute. Um, so essentially the matchmaking institute, which is now the global love institute, they certify matchmakers. So it's basically, it's through the New York department of education. It's a certification body. It's really the only one that is recognized. Um, and essentially you do like a series of courses and they have, you know, uh, conferences and professional development, but we all are under the same, um, kind of rules and regulations, just industry standards. Um, we collaborate all the time and we're all like, we all basically sign one big confidentiality agreement. So we don't share, you know, if we're collaborating on clients, we're not then. So um, do you get, do you get like an Oscar or did you get like a paper, a, a, a license? How, 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 what, what happens afterwards? Yeah. I mean, you just, you just become certified. So yeah, you okay. get like a, certification like a paper and then you have to you have to apply every year so you know if a company has had you know horrible uh you know if if they've caught if people have contacted the matchmaking institute and have said hey this company is terrible and set me up with a you know a cat or something you know then obviously the certification is not going to be renewed but we've been, I mean, we've been certified in good standing for the whole term. Of How our many company. of your couples stay together that you put together that get married or wedded or whatever the hell it is? How many of them stay together? That is such a good question. So over 10 years, we only have one divorce. So. Oh. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot. Do you keep I in know. touch? Do you keep in touch with them? I wish did more I wish we did more I find that I feel like in any industry like you just get kind of bogged down with the day-to-day it's hard for me sometimes to zoom out and to exactly like keep in touch with the married we have so many married couples we even have like babies that came from couples that we've matched and but we do have a team of seven matchmakers so whereas with me like I now that the company has grown so that now I can kind of work one-on-one with the celebrities and like the big names. It's beautiful because I, I am in contact with my past clients, but generally matchmakers in the city, it's hard because we've had so many clients over the years. So we'll see on social media that, Oh, they just, you know, they're welcome. Their third kid or, Oh, they just got a new house in Malibu or something like that. Tell me what is the need out there basically is it loneliness is it sex is it companionship is it money what basically are people looking for yeah i mean i think that it i think it does vary everyone has their own reasoning but i think loneliness is so big and i think especially with you know higher profile people that it's just they're so isolated you know i'm working with one client right now who is like hounded by the paparazzi and it's so sad because he can't even leave his house without getting 
accosted. And so it is a very isolating, um, it's very isolating, but you know, he's, he's doing great. He's doing great. I've got him. But I think for other, just the general public and just working professionals, it, it it's a combination of factors. I think a lot of times there's the illusion that, oh, dating's so easy nowadays because of all the dating apps and all the online, but it actually makes things a lot more complicated and a lot more confusing. Um, so, I, and also if people are busy, they want to streamline and outsource this element of their lives, right? Because this is, you know, it's, it's a full-time job. Trust me, it's been my full-time job for 10 plus years to find people love to interview all of their potential matches and people just, people are very, people are like snowflakes. They really are. Okay. Um, Give me, I I understand that you're not mentioning names. I got it. I understand that. But give me one story. So one, I know a person called you or or walked into your office and how does it work? I understand you're not going to give me a name, but tell me how the progression is. Yeah. So, well, it, it, it varies. I mean, sometimes the, the person just reaches out on their own. We have an application on our website, matchmakersinthecity.com. They basically just fill out the application. It's totally confidential. And then um, it goes to one of our team members. And then our team member reviews it and then sets up a consultation with one of the matchmakers. And in that consultation, we learn about the person, we learn about what they're looking for, and then we talk about just different options of membership with them. And if it's, you know, a, a normal matchmakers in the city membership, which is essentially working with a team of matchmakers, and they're getting a certain number of dates, a, a, a certain number of matches over the course of the year, that's beautiful. So that's one option. If it's, you know, working one-on-one with me, that's another option. Um, but generally, I mean, a majority of our clients are working with the team of, of our matchmakers. We have seven. So it's cool because they have the team that's working on their behalf, and then they're meeting a certain number of matches over the course of the okay, year. give me one experience, planned. one story. I know you're not going to tell me the name, but give me one story. Or, so I can watch the transgression of the progression of one couple or one person. They call you or they get in touch. They meet your team. How does it work actually after that? Yeah. So once they meet with the matchmakers, they do a best match interview and personality assessment um, with one of the matchmakers with one of us. And then um, we do our work. So we, the matchmaking begins. So we then have a big database of bachelors and bachelorettes that we've met over the course of 10 years that we've scouted, we've recruited, they've come into us, they've signed up for our database. Um, And then we hand select about, usually we start with about 10 top picks. And then from that number, we then re-interview those people. Um, We also send out kind of a, um, like I said, we partner with other matchmakers as well. So we have different matchmakers that we partner with all the time so then we can collaborate and we say hey I have you know I'm working with you know John John's absolutely amazing he's XYZ do you have any great you know potentials that fit this age range that are you know if they're Jewish you know he only wants to be Jewish great um or you know whatever whatever that may be so then we could then we make the match selection so we always go one match at a time um, and then John, the client, will then um, 
go on that we plan the date for him essentially all he needs to do is show up on the date see if there's a connection you mean you you you, you plan the evening for them you you yes. book a place for them you do all of that we do it all yep oh, we book oh the date. okay yeah okay. yeah we book the date we plan the date like for a lot of our big our our higher profile clients we do like a soho house or a joffrey's um so just somewhere that's more private that is just not you know a normal kind of run-of-the-mill um space but yeah if it, and if it they, doesn't work if they don't connect for whatever the reason do they get their money back no oh, no well, way yes. oh my goodness <laughs> well Absolutely. All the work we're doing, they, when it doesn't work they should pay us more because it's usually <laughs> it's just harder with no so what happens is is like they get a number of matches so it's not just like okay here's the love of your life have fun like, yeah, occasionally they'll match on the first match, and then that's like, yay, we've done an amazing job. But usually the way that it works is that they meet the first match, they see if there's a connection, if there is, amazing. If not, no worries. Either way, they then have a meeting with one of their matchmakers, and we regroup. We have, like, a series of questions that we ask. They're all, like, psychology-based questions to figure out why the connection wasn't there. But also we encourage that unless you're repulsed by the person, give them a second date, you know, because I think a lot of times in this, in society nowadays, it's almost like everybody wants to find their knight in shining armor and fall in love, love at first sight. But a lot of times in reality, that's not the way it works. You fall in love over a series of interactions and actually getting to know the person as opposed to just that first initial spark. Okay. At the beginning, you fall in like, you don't fall in love. What about, are you yourself? Are you married? I, I have an amazing, amazing partner. He's ever, he's wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful. And my favorite match to date is actually my sister. So I set her up with her husband, and they've now been married, I think, for five years, and they welcomed their second child a few months ago. So there's a lot of love in the air and matchmakers in the city. Who's, cr- <laughs> who's crankier? Who's who's crankier or needier? Is it men or women? Women. <laughs> yes, I thought so, but tell me why. Yes, I understood that. Women, a hundred percent. Men are so easy. Like men, I love working with men. They're so easy. But I also love working with women. I think with women, because you would think that, oh, it's, you know, the physical is not that big of a deal. Guess what? The physical is a big deal for women. Um, But I also think that, you know, we've just been conditioned to want a perfect man in, you know what I mean? Like we're, it's just everywhere that, this elusive perfect guy but in reality it's just it's not reality you know men are flawed and you know a lot of women kind of come to us and they have this huge list of what they're looking for but what are they looking for what do they say what do they say yeah they will they want the full not only emotionally intelligent but also incredibly intelligent intelligent they want you know, successful, like they, they, a lot of women come in, they're like, I make 300,000 a year. He needs to make double that or something like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, 
And I listen, in theory, sounds great. In theory, it sounds great. But in practice, it's also, you know, it's also that it's just not. uh, And then they also want like a Ken doll. You know, they want a man that's physically perfect. But there's always give and take. You know, there's always give and take. And also a lot of the nicer guys, like we'll set them up with that guy. But then they'll say, oh, but there just wasn't that spark. And that's that's honestly, I think, our biggest challenge is trying to encourage women to give the nice guy a shot that, hey, okay, he may not have blown your socks off on the first date, but that's actually good. You know, continue to get to know him and, you know, like grow in love instead of just exactly instead of just that initial attraction. Alessandra, what do you charge? What do you cost? So we begin, we have, they could, people could be a part of our database for a hundred dollars, but our actual packages begin at 10,000 and they go all the way up to 50,000. And then my rate. $50,000 to meet a guy for coffee. (laughs) <laughs> you're no, crazy we hate coffee dates <laughs> fifty thousand dollars ten thousand to fifty thousand fifty is my rate if the celebrity if somebody's a celebrity or a public figure my rates begin at fifty thousand for six months and they go up from there for to work with me i know it's steep but for a lot of people this is pocket change so, uh, we, well, okay, okay. So, do celebrities prefer to date other celebrities, or do they want normal people? Some do. Some like to date other celebrities. I have one celebrity client right now who really wants to only date somebody that understands the insanity of celebrity. So that's his reasoning for only wanting to date people who have experience with fame um, because he thinks that he just he has a theory about it. And I get that. But then you also get other um, I think a lot of women would uh, a lot of like any of the female celebrities that I've worked with, a lot of them would prefer somebody that is not somebody is not an actor or is not a musician or whatever doesn't have that fame they would prefer somebody that's on the business side and i encourage that always because i always think in every relationship there's a diamond and there's a setting okay okay do they ever get angry with you they didn't like the person you set them up with or they think you charged them too much or whatever don't they ever get angry with their celebrity matchmaker Yes, yes, they do. And it's hard. It's something that I've learned just over the years. Like, I don't have tough skin at all. Um, So my approach is always, like, love. And I almost just kill them with kindness and love and just try to understand that, you know, why they're frustrated. But, yeah, they they can get frustrated. But usually it's out of a place of, of just, you know, frustration as opposed to, oh, my God, you set me up with a horrible guy. It's not usually like that's not usually the issue. It's not usually like, oh, you set me up with the worst person ever. It's usually like just they're frustrated because they're like, I don't understand. I'm meeting these great people, but I'm not connecting either. They like them or or they don't like them and they and the, the, the match likes them. So it's it's challenging. It can be challenging. I'm not the best matchmaker that deals with that i i it's it's 
it's tough. But I've also gotten really lucky that now I own, now when I'm working one-on-one with a client, I have to really like, I just have to really jive with them and I have to flow with them. And, and there's an understanding always that I have your best interest at heart. And if it doesn't work with this person, no worries. We have so many other amazing people. Okay. So do you meet them face to face or it is, is it zoom or whatever the hell it is? You meet your clients face to face. Yeah. Do you, every do client, you... Yes. Every client that we're working with, we have, we have an office in Beverly Hills. So we always meet them in person at our office in Beverly Hills. If it's a celebrity, I'll usually go to their home, um, which is so fun. Um, but yeah, usually it's, uh, it's just at our office in, in Beverly Hills and we do a face-to-face human-to-human meeting, which is great. Well, I want to thank you. I am not on the hunt. I am not looking for anyone, but thank you. Thank you very, very much for talking with me. I've enjoyed it a lot. Thanks, honey. Of course. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, sweetie. Thank you, honey. Bye. Yes, thanks, Cindy. Talk to you soon. (laughs) This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am back again. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about stories on the lack of reading ability that are taught in New York schools. This has been a story that has been in the papers. I add this little bit because I experienced it myself. A friend had a 15-year-old high school son who came over to her, gave his mom a handwritten letter. She said, what are you giving it to me for? Read it yourself. He said, I don't know how to read cursive. Are we a great city or what? The kid was 15 years old. Now, Republicans. I have a little complaint about the Republicans. They speak evil about poor old Biden. I don't think that's not, I don't think that's nice. Just because the other day, He bent to tie his shoelace, and then, while he was down there, he tried to think of a few other things to do. Oh, Biden, only in New York, Delaware, and the rest of the states are watching you fall on your ass. Okay, we are going onward. I have other things that I want to say. Listen, it's June. Weddings are upon us. It is time for friends who don't pay back. Relatives nobody likes and free eaters who never grab checks. They are all coming for these weddings. So, if you have to cater it or you have to make the dinner yourself, I'm going to help you. To help you serve turkeys to these other turkeys, here's a menu from the early days of super expensive, super famous Stork Club. That was back in the years when they were the goat. It was the go-to for people like Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, Princess Grace, Humphrey Bogart, Elizabeth Taylor, and a bushel and a peck of very VIP peas. Here was what their 1947 dinner was like for a party. Little necks, the dish of them was a dollar forty. Cream of tomato soup, ninety cents. Fruit salad. $3.50. Beef stew, 3 bucks 75 cents. Escargot, 
$4. String beans, 90 cents. Who cares about string beans? French fries, 75 cents. You want mashed? That's expensive. It was 90 cents. And if you wanted Chinese, a mugu guy pan was four fifty. Rice pudding went for forty cents. Tortoni came cheaper, eighty five cents. So that's in case you're planning to do a whole thing for graduation today. On to other matters like inflation. At home style ballet slippers we just ordered from Amazon. The price was six dollars. Two days later, a second pair was ordered. The same style, the same color, the same size. The price, $24. Amazon now bills Amazon prices. Well, with all the layoffs, this man said, it's good and bad news. I just got $50,000 severance pay. His wife said, great. What's the bad news? Husband, wait till you find out what they severed. <laughs> okay, I'm going further, I'm going further, I'm further. I'm upset about theaters. They're empty. Projectionists don't even show up. In some places, the popcorn last popped when Casablanca opened. I went to a theater recently. It had ten patrons in it. Russell Crowe's old statuettes might not increase the size of roles offered anymore. But now the size of eggs laid. Why? Because that's how he thinks about theaters. That's how he thinks about movies. That's how he thinks about statuettes. He actually keeps his award inside his chicken barn. Our population today? Migrants. Oscar people think they're eager to see films on A.I.? You think seniors are rushing to see stars they don't know, can't pronounce, have unfamiliar backgrounds, and every reel is stabbing, killing, dismembering, shooting. Whatever happened to movies of the old days with June, Moon, Spoon, and customers? Hollywood where actresses of age 22 are now considered senior citizens, where there's such jealousy that they stab you in front, where vasectomies are sold door to door, where we talk about abortions and illegal children, and this is what decides what ordinary souls want to see. The movie colony now knows love between two people is life's wonderful experience, no matter who the right two people are. And these are the brains making films for everyday folk who plant seeds, own oxen, and raise kids. How about what's being made? Their war films. They're films about stabbing and killing, like All Quiet on the Western Front, a famous movie, but about war. Brutal. The, ban the Banshees of Inchirin, about someone cutting off a finger. Triangle of Sadness is Storm, Sinking Ship, People Whispering, 
Avatar, Top Gun, and the Sea Beast, all about terrifying creatures, plus monsters and monster hunters. Okay, I think I've said enough about that, but it's what I feel. Now I'm going on to one other thing. I'm going on to... Wait a second, I have to read what I wrote here. I can't even read what I wrote here. One Tina Turner memory. This is not what I wrote down, but it's what I just remembered. Besides a highway named for her in Nutbush, North Carolina, once in one shop, at one time, one visit, she bought 125 pairs of shoes. That's in one shot. Okay? I am coming to an end. I want to tell you that in a local drugstore, the father said to a child, Son, these condoms you are looking at are for safe sex. The kid said, Why are three in a package? The father said, They're for high school boys, one for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Seeing a box of twelve, the kid asks, Well, what are these for? The father said, For married men, for January, February, March. Listen, I have done enough for you, and before you get rid of me, I am getting rid of you. I am now off the air, and my brilliance will be back again Sunday at 1 o'clock on WABC AM. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you all. Bye.